SAS Backwards is sponsored by Austin Lawrence Group, specializing in demand gen for SAS. It sure is noisy. I deleted 100 emails from vendors just this morning. Your buyer has gotten better at ignoring you, and you're going to need a big idea if you want to cut through all that clutter. Austin Lawrence is just the right agency to help you find it. So if your campaigns are falling on deaf eyeballs, let's talk. Visit austinlawrence.com today and let's build something bigger. Welcome to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, where we reverse engineer the success of fast-growing SaaS firms and explore strategies CMOs and CEOs are using to drive their businesses forward. Welcome to another episode of SaaS Backwards, podcasts that help SaaS CEOs and CMOs to accelerate growth and enhance profitability. Our guest today is Sanjit Singh. He's the chairman and co-founder of UFIRST Capital. His firm invests in SaaS firms with a focus on AI. Sanjit, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Ken, for having me on your great podcast. I've heard so many awesome things about this. Thank you. And before we get into it, why don't you tell me a little bit more about you and your company? Absolutely. Happy to. So, hi, everybody. Thank you for joining my name is Sanjeet Singh Dang. I am a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley. I've been in Silicon Valley for 20 years and have thoroughly enjoyed the ride so far. We invest in primarily tech startups and most of them are SaaS-oriented companies. So SaaS, becomes, SaaS forms the foundational cornerstone of pretty much all of our investments. And we also like to invest in companies that are leveraging deep technologies like AI for bettering the world. And I can tell you a little bit more about the investments we have done. We invested in a company called DevRev. DevRev is a SaaS company that has created a product for connecting developers directly to customers. So it's like a CRM around, but centered around the developers. Because in the PLG product-led growth era, developers are gonna be at the center of the universe. So why not create products around them versus around the sales guys? There's a CRM for sales, but there's no CRM for developers. So that's another company. It's led by seasoned founders. They ran Nutanix, which is a hyper-converged infrastructure company, very successfully for years and took it to IPO, and now they're on to their next game. I love that idea of you know, raising the profile of the developers. They're two or three layers away a lot of times from yeah. the customers who actually use their stuff. Right, right. And that's a problem because, number one, developers don't understand what to work on what customers really want. What happens is the customers will give feedback to sales guys or tech sales guys, and then the sales team will distill down hey, to three or four points across different customer feedbacks, and then give those three points to developers. So here we have a lightning channel between developer and the customer. So if I create a feature today, I can find out today, hey, does the customer like it? Or what does he or she want as a change? So I think it helps with product development, faster feature development, and it helps with the greater customer satisfaction. I was well. going to say, it sounds like this would make the engaged users much more interested in the outcome of the product. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And also, you know, they've raised now 50 plus 20, 70 million dollars of a seed round, which is, I think, the largest seed round ever by an enterprise B2B company in the Valley. 
So we are part of that round. We're Is that a beat. seed? Uh, it's still a seed. So maybe we should unpack that definition just a little bit. How is it a seed round and not like an A or B? Seed is tied to the stage of the company rather than the amount. If the company is at an early stage. Now there is this round over a year ago. At that time, they were still developing the product. So that's a seed stage of the company. So whether you raise $5 million or $50 million, doesn't matter. The stage is still seed. Fair enough. I think that was worth a little detour. Yeah, for that. absolutely. Because that's certainly a headline kind of number. I know for a seed investment. Yeah. So the headlines are that the VC space is very challenging for the companies, you know, the money raise, fundraise very hard. But I think that's a very broad brush. Yeah. So where are things happening? Yeah. You know, where do you see the positive signs? And also we've been talking about the negative for some amount of months. These things don't last forever. Yeah. So, you know, the current market actually is bimodal in my humble opinion. And I say current market, I mean the current venture capital market. There are some startups that are able to raise loads of funding. Yeah, some eye-popping rounds. Correct. So if you have a good story, you have a good team, you have a product market fit proven out, you can actually raise a lot more than what you think you can. Then there are other startups that are struggling to find their first customer or still trying to understand what to build. I think those are in trouble. VCs are asking more questions now. VCs want more proof points on the customer side. So yeah, it is tougher to raise funding today than for example in 2021. But if you really have a solid company that has achieved product market fit, you have a growing base of customers, you need fuel for the fire, you can raise more than you want to actually. Yeah, look at the money going into generative AI companies. There's no dearth of money in the valley. And Tropic, yesterday announced a $450 million raise. They've raised over a billion dollars earlier. No shortage of money for their proposition. Not at all. So what is it about, so AI is not new. No. Right, almost every company here at the Ascent Conference, you know, has some bedded AI that they had before, even OpenAI sort of launched onto the scene. So what is it about the current state of AI that's so exciting? I think Chad GPT showed people what AI can really be and how impactful it can be. Prior to that, everybody knew AI will happen someday, nobody knew when and in what form. But Chad GPT gave a structure around that form. It, it was also a perfect example of technology sophistication meets consumer accessibility. Once, when you create a sophisticated technology like a GPT engine and make it accessible, put it in the hands of the common man, magic happens. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. So that was really a trigger point in the journey of AI in the world today. And I think the best is yet to come, honestly speaking. Well, yeah, I mean, even here, some of the demos that I've seen showing like real-time contextual coaching for salespeople, yeah. where you know the speech is being encoded and evaluated in real time and helping salespeople, like if a competitor is named, bringing up the battle card yeah. inside of a window in a Zoom meeting yep. or providing sentiment analysis based on the words and the sound of people's voices. Yeah. So I think there's just a tremendous amount there that ought to be of high value. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think we are at a point where you will see a lot more venture funding getting into AI, not just generative AI, but other forms of AI also. And I think it's going to create some fantastic companies. 
So reigniting interest in the more established AI enhancements and categories, right? Yeah. It's clearly been happening for a while. Yeah, it has been, but not to this level. Right, so this is creating this incredible awareness of the power of AI. Absolutely. And so maybe that has a knock-on effect on the older implementations too? Absolutely, yeah. I think everybody is buckling up. In fact, older AI players are saying, hey, I better use GPT. So we know some startups that were calling themselves AI-powered startups, but they are now saying, hey, I'm GPT-powered. Right, and there are some great demos, especially of like a natural language query to yeah. create analytics. Sure. Right, it's a really cool use case. Yeah where the data sets are gigantic and just by asking right. like a question like, you know, when's the best time to be putting golf equipment on sale? Yeah. That kind of question, it'd be very hard for a human to come up with the answer, but I think the AI can really help us do those kind of things. Absolutely, yeah. So what are you looking for? You know, like what are the investment criteria that are most important to you for these young companies? Yeah. We need a strong team with good domain expertise. We also need people in creating companies in open-ended markets where we can see, hey, this is like a limitless market over time. Thirdly, we want to make sure we can answer why now. A lot of the startups, in my humble opinion, have a good product, good team, but there's no customer ready to adopt the solution today. That's an if, interesting one. Yeah, if it takes you three years to find your first customer, it's too late. I'm sorry. Why now? You've got to be able to answer the question, why now? So I don't operate a lot in the venture space, but I've certainly heard the team is number one, right? And having some product market fit. Do most VCs ask that why now question? I think not everybody does, but I think some of them do. I've learned from some of them actually to ask that question. So it's not my question, but I do apply it. But it seems really important because certainly there are things that are ahead of their time. Or things that are too late. Yeah. Now, the counter that some investors will tell you to that question is, hey, there may not be a market today, but go create fantastic products, market will emerge. That's, that's the, uh, the Steve, Steve Jobs. That's a right? Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs <laughs> idea. You know, <laughs> I, I'm going I'm to change the arc of the universe. I'll give you iPhone. Of course, they'll line up. <laughs> but, you know, for a startup, that's harder to do, in my opinion. And well, that's sure, a hope I mean, strategy. So Steve Jobs had a gigantic business from which to create innovation, right? Yeah. Was already pretty gigantic. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, but so I feel like with founders, going back to the first criteria, we need people that want to change some part of the universe. Yeah. Right? Make a small dent in some part of the universe. Yeah. We had a guy on the podcast earlier today from Healthy, one of the companies here. I don't know if you know them. No, but I've heard of them. And their idea is they want to make the benefits for healthcare more accessible. Yeah. And so they're using AI to drive utilization of your insurance benefits to make sure you get the best outcome for yourself as an employee, a patient, yeah. for the employer as well. Yeah. And I feel like we need like some passion. Like when I do these interviews, if I see the person sitting back, I know they're not passionate. If I see them sitting forward, yeah. I know there's passion there and I feel like even in my business, you know, helping companies to do their yeah. revenue generation, I look for that passion because sure. I want to know yeah. that the hard work is going to be met by the vision and the energy to make it happen. Yeah. And how do you evaluate that? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, running a startup is, takes a lot of grit, a lot of self-motivation and drive. You cannot be doing this 
because somebody wants you to do it or the investor wants you to do it. I think it's your baby. And the entrepreneurs who succeed, they have a point of view they want to put across in the world. They want to paint the world with their view. And they want to show, hey, here is how the world will look like with or without my solution. So you better invest in my solution. Otherwise, the train is going to leave the station. That's where the self-motivation and then resulting in you know, actions and body posture, all of that comes in. What's the most compelling thing you've heard? Like compelling pitch, whether or not you've invested in it. Yeah. Like, and you don't have to give up the names if you don't want yeah. to, but yeah. like, what's really gotten you excited? Like yeah. either a pitch tactic or a, you know, the proof that somebody brought to a pitch meeting. Yeah, you know, I like when sometimes in the pitch, people start off with a very brief introduction of the company for five minutes and then they have a customer review or customer snippet or customer video to show why the customer likes this company and whether or not the customer actually did a full survey in the market and then chose this or was it just hey friends friends so let's just do it well a lot of founder-led sales are that yeah. that you know i know you and trust you so i'll buy from you initially but then at some point it has to become a structured sales process but even if it is a founder-led relationship-based sale the customer still has to see value so i would like to hear from a customer early on in the pitch i think those are the pitches that excite second thing i do in pitches is if I like a company in the first 10 minutes, I'll shut off the projector. So Interesting. I, because the slides are, these are pre-canned slides. Probably a consultant made these slides for you. I want to know what's in your mind. So I request the entrepreneur, the founder, let's start having a whiteboard session in the room. No projector, no slides. And I think that has helped me tremendously. And founders who are clear about what they are doing and can articulate are the winners then. That's really interesting. So my first job out of school, long time ago, was at IBM. Uh -huh. And I went through the sales training, which at the time was, you know, gold standard, right? Sure, it was. And that exact scenario was one of the ones they prepared you for. Really? Well, they didn't have projectors at the time. Yeah. It was like 1982. Uh -huh. So we weren't projecting our PowerPoints. There wasn't even PowerPoint. But the scenario was, you have a presentation plan and the person you're trying to sell to stops you yeah. and doesn't want to hear your presentation. Yeah. What are you going to do? And you have uh, to be able to write on a piece of paper, write on a board. So I'm glad to hear that those skills well, are still I important. I IBM taught this too. Oh yeah, it was, like, it was called the pencil cell. You had to be able to take out a piece of paper, draw it on the tabletop, draw it on a whiteboard. You had to be able to do it anywhere and be that comfortable with your pitch that nothing could stop you. Wow, amazing. You know, guy puts his feet on the table, does whatever. Yeah. Doesn't matter what he does. You have to be sort of unflappable. So I think that's actually a good test for the entrepreneur in a way to understand their passion and their ability to respond to like a curveball. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I tell entrepreneurs, what if you meet your dream customer, the CEO of the dream customer company in an elevator? You have 10 seconds. Be ready. And which words are you going to use? I had a manager at some point in life. You go to her cube and she would say, Sajid, stop. Ten words only. <laughs> and you're thinking, I came with a train of thoughts. <laughs> which ten words, ten, which ten precious words am I going to choose? I like it. Yeah, we've actually, 
you know, we've built presentations mm -hmm. for, for our clients. And one of them is the back of the limo pitch. So you basically yeah. have 20 minutes. Yeah. You're going with your CEO prospect yeah. from one meeting to another. He's invited you into his limo. How yeah. do you manage that yeah. sales call? Because yeah. you're right, you have to be ready almost to, to do anything. anything. Correct. Yeah. And if these situations also help you with self-clarity, it's, it's an iterative process. We don't expect you to know everything on day one, but we expect you to hone your skills, your clarity of thought through these exercises. That's it's interesting you brought that up because I was going to ask you, does anybody get a second chance? You do get a second chance, of course. Nobody's perfect, but you learn. You ask the great grand chess masters. You ask somebody, you know, Anand, who is an Indian gentleman, but he's a grandmaster. Somebody asked him and said, hey, what has helped you the most? You know, how did you get to this level becoming a global champion? He said, after every game, that night, I would go home, go through the my moves and the opponent's moves and make notes of what I did wrong. And next game, I would apply that learning. It's very simple, but you have to be diligent and you have to have the ability to self-learn. And he said, I did that for years. There's no magic. I'm not just a genius. I may, be, I may have a sharp mind. That's not enough. Hard work. Hard work, grunt work. That's awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to land the episode. Awesome. I really appreciate you sharing your experience and expertise and some of these maybe not common insights into the investing process. If people want to reach you, how can yeah, they do that? People can connect with me on LinkedIn or email me at sanjeet at ufirstcapital.com. It's U, letter U, F-I-R-S-T, capital.com. That's awesome. It was a great episode. Thank you. And for our listeners who have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so wherever podcasts are distributed. And if you want to reach me, I'm on LinkedIn, slash in, slash Ken Lempit, and the agency's at austinlawrence.com. Sanjeev, thank you so much. This thank was you awesome. very much, Ken. I appreciate it. The honor is all mine, and I hope you get more and more listeners to this SaaS podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, brought to you by Austin Lawrence Group. We're a growth marketing agency that helps SaaS firms reduce churn, accelerate sales, and generate demand. Learn more about us at www.austinlawrence.com. You can email Ken Lempet at kl at austinlawrence.com about any SaaS marketing or customer retention subject. We hope you'll subscribe, and thanks again for listening.